0: Welcome to The Brothers Bookshelf with your hosts Lennon Givens, Walter Atkins, and Dr. Harvey Hinton III. Listeners, it's February and we're celebrating Black History Month. Being that we're the brothers of Omega Psi Phi, it's only right that we discuss who and why we're celebrating our history this month. Please subscribe, rate us, and share with your friends. Enjoy. December 19, 1875, one of the greatest mines in American history was born to free slaves in Ken, Virginia. His father soon moved the family to West Virginia, where young Carter worked as a sharecropper and eventually a coal miner to help the family. As a coal miner, he took a special liking to the senior miners, some who were Civil War vets that would share war stories from first hand accounts. In turn, he would read them the newspapers. One of the elders collect books books that he could not read himself, but because he saw something in young Carter that was beyond the coal mines, he gifted him his book collection. Carter self-taught himself mathematics and literature, and at the age of 20, he entered into Frederick Douglass High School in Huntington, West Virginia, and finished a four-year program in two years. He went on to receive a bachelor's degree and became a school teacher and taught in the Philippines. He went on to receive a second bachelor's degree and master's degree from the University of Chicago, then on to be the second black to receive his Ph.D. from Harvard University, second to W.E.B. E. Bois. During the summer of 1915, Dr. Woodson came back to Chicago from D.C., his old stomping grounds, to participate in the state-sponsored Lincoln Jubilee, a celebration of the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Thousands of African Americans travel from all over the country to see exhibits highlighting the progress their people made since the destruction of slavery. Being a participant himself and having an exhibit, he, being an ex-teacher, a principal, teaching in the Philippines, a dean of students, a consummate educator, he had the epiphany to capture all the artifacts in history being told and distributing this information to classrooms across America. Right after the three-week celebration on September 9th, Wilson summoned a group of friends at the Wabash YMCA and formed the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Him and other black intellectuals were published the journey of Negro history, which he established in 1916. Being elected an honorary member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated in February 1917, he met with luminaries in the frat, such as the revered Colonel Charles Young at the ninth Annual Conclave held in 1920. Brother Woodson urged the bros to join him in the study of Negro life. Accepting his challenge, the bros responded with the creation of the Negro History and Literature Week, which they renamed Negro Teach. Achievement Week. Teach. Through manhood, Teach. scholarship, Teach. perseverance, Teach. and uplift, Teach.
1: Negro and Achievement money. Week
0: matured oh, into Black History Month, month as we celebrate today. It's my honor and a pleasure to present to you my brother, my hero, the father of black history. Let's give a warm bros bookshelf welcome to Dr. Carter G. Woodson's Miseducation of a Negro. Yes, sir. Carter G. Carter G. Carter G. G. What did G stand for, dog? What did G stand for? (laughs) I like how you uh, mentioned that nobody gave us anything. We got it on our own. We created it yeah, our man. own. This is something that we saw. We felt the void and we we filled that void. It's so important
1: to address that because every year we, we become more and more nonchalant and more and more less informed and more and more stupid every year, you know? And every year when it's around Black History Month, somebody's making that dumb comment. You know, why they got to give us the shortest month and why we got to have this and why they uh, we don't understand. Exactly.
0: We us did that. Uh, it went from April and Carter Godwin-Woodson. I heard what you said um, when you asked what the G was said for um, <laughs> Carter Godwin-Woodson. He changed it from April to February. So and it was written that he changed it because of the uh, two birthdays. The birthday of Frederick Douglass, somebody whom he revered, and Abraham Lincoln—they both had birthdays in February. But
2: the Ab- but the Abraham Lincoln part is still up for discussion. Yeah, right? that's cute, ain't before. it, Walter? That's cute. Yeah, yeah, It's still us. Because, like, think about it, man. Can't, can't nothing in Black history happen without that white savior? You know what I mean? They always got to have a white savior narrative in the whole entire
0: situation. That's but w- nevertheless, regardless of his true intentions, I think Black folks was just happy that he signed something that freed us oh, from slavery. Ain't, ain't we no didn't, care. About we, we <laughs> didn't care. We didn't care. We didn't care. The backstory on it or nothing. Yeah, yeah. We didn't care about none of that. Yeah. Yeah. You freed us and we absolutely. thank you for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, absolutely. absolutely. wrong with you, that? Saying, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: but anyway, this, man, uh, I think um in his case, is important because Lenny, something you said when you first began. First of all, he's born 10 years after slavery. And right. Right. So Somehow or another, <laughs> after graduating
0: high school at 22 years old, he goes to the Philippines. How you do that? That was a program. So after the Filipino, uh, the Philippine war, America had this program that was seeing educators over there to try to teach them the American way. And when he went over there, he realized that if I'm going to teach them, I need to teach them their way. I need to learn their culture so I can get through to them because he wasn't just a teacher by job. He was a teacher by trade. That was his life profession. That's what he was.
1: It's just amazing, man, because because, you know, as we get into the book and he's talking about, you know, shaping consciousness, you know, that that narrative that we can't and we ain't never had. And all we could do is that narrative gets challenged every time we open this book. And just 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 look at some of the it's not about the accomplishments, but the experiences that this man was able to have during that time period. When so many other people were still uh sharecropping or just really, really in a very bad situation. Let me um let me pull out a couple of points from the preface right quick, Lynn, if that's okay. <laughs> I think it's I think it's important to remember in the preface that he he. He owns his shit in this too. You know what I'm saying? So it's 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 his own it's his own love letter, but it's hard. I love reading it. Every year I read it and it's hard. It's hard as hell.
0: <laughs> this is what I do like. I do like when you when you start studying his life and his, his journey through life, all this schooling he he had, right? So he started out with this school, uh, Berea in Virginia. And then he went on to the University of Chicago to try to get a master's degree Uh, at the University of Chicago. They told him, hold on, that little school you went to, Borea, when you first came here, we we can't honor that. So they made him take some more undergraduate classes, then take his graduate classes. But not only that, he was a teacher. He went overseas to teach in the Philippines. So by the time he went to go get his Ph.D., he had traveled the world. After he after he went from the Philippines, he started, he went to Europe, he studied in France, and um in in Paris, he studied he went to Africa, he went to uh uh Rome to Greece, he went all over the world. So by the time that he was his his first year getting his PhD at uh, Harvard University, he said he wasn't as prepared as the rest of the first year students, but what he did have on everybody is he had age. And he also had experience, and he traveled the world, so he had a chance to look at everybody's cultures and study how everybody else learned. I thought about you, Harvey, because you have your PhD in curriculum. He spent his lifetime writing curriculums for schools.
1: Yeah, man, I've I've read a lot of it, a lot of his writings, man. That's why I get kind of passionate about it because I think he's often mis, misunderstood or misread or, or intentionally forgotten about because. Like I say, it was such a strong emphasis on African consciousness, and we we, we lose that term today in in oils and and shea butters and incense. We think it's that, you know what I mean? And I don't, that's not it. <laughs> that's not that's not what he was talking about either, though. You know what I mean? Well, I just think you're talking about the fact that you know when you look at what what is considered world history is African history, and that when the European his first writers referenced his encounters with black people. There, There is no European encounter with an ancient European. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen. Right. Like the ancient Europeans right. talk about the Africans. So all there is to know about what there is to know came out of African people. You need to know that first.
0: So with all that schooling, the, he started looking around and, and he was noticing how they was purposely making sure that they was uh, omitting the African influence from the textbook. I mean, think about this. Think about this. You
1: know, it, you, you drew the comparison to to me. I can tell you that that process was, was isolating at a lot of moments. I had to, you know, isolate myself from things. Think about the time period that this man is operating in. Again, we're not talking about, you know, Delta Airlines and Expedia.com and, you know, you know, debit cards and credit. You know what I mean? We ain't talking about that. TSA and this is a different type of travel. This
0: is a whole different world. How how Yeah. This a this, this a Union Pacific all the <laughs> way to the West Coast to, <laughs> to San Francisco to get on a yeah. boat and take a six day ride overseas to Manila.
1: <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, man? During a time period where everybody else is still picking cotton. Yeah they still sharecropping.
0: Yeah, yeah we send in yeah. text messages, and he's sending letters back and forth to W.E.B. the boast, and he has to wait five, six days to get a response.
2: Yeah,
1: that's dedication, and, um, yeah, man. We keep it moving. Um, in the preface, he says, Herein are recorded not opinions but the reflections of one who for 40 years have participated in the education of the black, brown, yellow, white races in both hemispheres and in tropical and temperate regions. Such experience, too, has been with students in all grades from kindergarten to the university. The author, moreover, has traveled around the world to observe not only modern school systems in various countries, but to study the special systems set up by private agencies and governments to educate the natives in their colonies and dependencies. Some of these observations, too, have been checked against more recent studies on a later tour. Discussion herein, the mistakes made in the education of the Negro the writer frankly admits that he has committed some of these errors himself. Exactly. Self-reflection, being honest. Self-reflection. That's a teacher. That's a real teacher right there. Yeah. He goes on to say, um, in several chapters, moreover, he specifically points out wherein himself has strayed from the path of wisdom. This book therein is not intended as a broadside against any particular person or class, but is given against a corrective for methods which have not produced satisfactory results 40 years of ref- of study and reflection led to what this brother's about to bring us man and the fact that he says that he made the mistakes too I'm already like on my heels because I know I didn't screwed
0: up <laughs> man uh you know what you know what else I um I, I admire about this? I admire his honesty and I admire his relentless pursuit to want to educate. So if I if that means that I have to correct myself in order to give the proper education so you can receive this education, then I do that. I just want to put some things into perspective uh, for y'all real quick. When he got his uh, second bachelor's degree and master's degree, he was 33 years old. When he graduated with his PhD in 1912, he was 37 years old. So in 1915, he was 40 years old when he sat down and he had the epiphany to put something together when he formed the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. He was 40 years old. So I was just looking at his life and thinking about, like, how old he was. So he was around all these young people, and he didn't play no games, man. He played no games. Yeah, man, I think
1: it's, I think it's that. <laughs> That's the romantic side of it. The other side of it, it's heavy carrying other people's burdens, other people's problems. And, you know, I think he had, I like say, he had an opportunity to see stuff firsthand, but when them people confided in him and told him that they expected of him, I think he had to respect that, and that's a, that's a huge burden, and he didn't have time to play around with that, you know, knowing that other people were in the situations that they were in and were depending on him. That's a heavy burden. In chapter one, the seat of the trouble. The first line in chapter one: The educated Negroes have the attitude of contempt towards their own people because. Their own as well as they're in their mixed schools, Negroes are taught to admire the Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, and the Tuton, and despise (laughs) the African. (laughs) So, dog, if you're going to school and you're learning about the Tuton, (laughs) we ain't talking about them boys from Detroit, them singers, you know what I'm saying? No, I don't even know a, a, a singing group from Detroit named Tuton. That's what it sounds like the two times. You know, it's so easy for you not to learn to take yourself important. He said that the Negro, the educated Negroes, have learned to despise the African. I think that's a mouthful right there.
0: The educated Negro. Because that's us. I was watching this show. It's, it's called Boardwalk Empire. And there was a scene where the, the only black dude, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the only black principal characters in the show, his name is Chalky White. And Chalky White is played by, I think his name, Michael Williams, the guy who played uh, Omar on The Wire. Yeah, Omar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chalky White is played by Omar. Chalky White uh, runs the um, the prohibition and the illegal alcohol in the black community. So he has all his money and he's married to like this bougie, light-skinned woman, right? So there's a scene where he um, he, he gets out of jail and his daughter is telling telling him you know there's this guy she wants him to meet and, and she asks him can he come over for dinner come over for dinner and he's like sure you come over for dinner i've been craving some hoppin' johns and you know so yeah we we can have some hoppin' Johns. so i don't know for the listeners if y'all know what hoppin' johns is hoppin' john is like rice and peas mixed with some other stuff it's like what the slaves uh used to cook and i think it came from africa right so Nighttime, he's already he's stressed. Down. Yeah, he's already stressed out, stressed out, right? So he's sitting at the table. His wife, Bougie, she raising his son, Bougie. He's about to go off to. Uh, this this taking place in 1920. His son about to go off to Morehouse. His son plays classical piano and all that. So he's sitting at the table. He got his suit on, and he's looking, and he said, "Is that a duck?"
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and everybody like looking around his wife said yes yes baby that's a duck he said i thought i said i wanted some Hoppin' johns
1: Hoppin John.
0: and she said well baby hopping johns is not something that you make for guests you know we can have we have hopping johns you know some other time and so the guy that came over to uh to see his daughter you know, they, you know he was supposed to be meeting he was kind of like smiling. And then he said, did I say something funny, sir? And the guy said, no, no, no. Uh, my grandmother makes Hoppin' John all the time. And he was like, yeah. And he looked up, everybody light-skinned, he dark-skinned. he said, it seems very clear who the field nigga is in this room. And he got up and stormed out. And <laughs> And I thought about it because how Negroes, you get all educated and bougie and high mighty, you start looking down, turning uh, turning your nose down to Hoppin' John and start eating yeah. duck. And we yeah. don't eat no damn duck. Shit, we don't eat no duck today. Do y'all eat duck?
1: It's a, it's a slippery slope, man.
0: It's <laughs> no a, damn
1: duck. <laughs> it's a slippery slope when we say what we don't do. But that's a great story, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can tell you that we don't go to the Philippines during the 1915s, either you know what I'm saying,
0: <laughs> but but we do, <laughs> and, and, and we did, and you know he bought I mean? back with him some history and something that we can about use. It, you know, <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't say what we can't do,
1: but <laughs> that man, right. would have down. <laughs>
0: you know what, I like when I'm reading this book, I'm thinking about that show. Because not only did he want him from Hoppin' John, he's the only person in his house that's not formally educated. However, he's the richest black man in town, so he's funding his wife's bougie and his kids' bougie lifestyle. His son trying to play him when his daughter asked him to uh, ask him to help him to uh, to help her with his schoolwork, and he said, "You know, Dad, don't know any of that stuff." And Dad like, <laughs> "Yeah, okay." <laughs> but what I do know is how to put some money in my pockets. So when you the thought of the
1: inferiority of the negro is drilled into him in almost every class he enters and in almost every book he studies. If he happens to leave school after he masters the fundamentals before he finishes high school or reaches college, he will naturally escape some of this bias and may recover in time to be of service to his people. <laughs> He might. So you don't need really much more after fifth grade, because you gonna start learning a whole bunch of lies after fifth grade.
0: Yeah, yeah, because anything after that, they teaching you about the damn Teuton.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, when you go to the bank and try to get it, try to get a loan. And they about to turn you down right before they about to turn you down. You pull that two ton right out your pocket. Be like, bam. <laughs> Let me like what you hey. know about the two hey, hey. <laughs> hey, dog. You, you know impressed them with um, that. I know. Well,
2: Carter G. Wilson mentioned, I know I'm paraphrasing right now. I don't have the quote directly in front of me, but he mentioned about like um, the people that made the most money in our race was people that was under uneducated.
1: Right. Oh, dog! No, he says. He says okay. in the next in the, in the next stanza, practically all of the successful Negroes of this country are the uneducated type, or that of Negroes who have had no form of education at all. Go Think ahead. Think about today's time, right now,
2: right? The ones who are the people that make the most money right now, I would say, i.e., celebrities, whether that's basketball, football, baseball, whether that's rapping, um, singing. They are the ones right now that are pushed forth of, into the forefront of uh, um, as far as black entertainers that make the most amount of money um, today for black folks. Think about it, dog. It's the truth. It's the truth. Right. But back in the day, um, during Carl G. Wilson's time, it was those individuals that was maybe like the blacksmith, the carpenters, the, the brick masons, the tradesmen who didn't have the opportunity to go off to school that they made the most money because they had a chance to start their own businesses. You know, absolutely. It was just a little bit, absolutely, a little bit different. One of the um, same thing going on today in 2020. The, one
0: of the first millionaires in the United States <laughs> was a man named Junus Jones. He ran the largest potato uh, farm in the United States. He had the largest potato export in the United States. So big that the Union Pacific—I think it was called the—the um, the Union Railroad back then. Built a spur up onto his property so they can load up rail cars of potatoes and distribute them across the West Coast so they can offload them and send them overseas. He was uneducated. He was a freed slave. So you had people like him. You had people like um, Isaiah Montgomery, who was a former slave who was freed, who ran the books for his slave master. In Mississippi, in the Delta, they they passed him down the land because they didn't leave the land anymore. Because after the Civil War, there was no use for them to be down south, the owners of the land. He took that land and he ran one of the most successful cotton plantations in the country. And he paid every worker that worked for him. He went on and started a new municipality called Mons Bayou in northern Mississippi. So Mons Bayou in northern Mississippi was started by some black brothers, Montgomery brothers. They put in a post office. They put in streets. They build houses. They put up businesses. So, yeah, they were uneducated.
2: Absolutely. Isaiah Montgomery.
1: (laughs) He says. When a Negro has finished his education in our schools, then he has been equipped to begin the life of an Americanized or Europeanized white man. But before he steps from the threshold of his alma mater, he is told by his teachers that he must go back to his own people from whom he has been estranged by the vision of ideals, which in his disillusionment he would realize that he cannot attain. He goes forth to play his part in life, but he must be social and bisocial
0: at the same time. Hold Why, on. He is hold part on. Of the hold on. Body. Don't we do that today? Aren't we social and bisocial at the mm. same time? They call it code mm. switching. We do mm. that today. <laughs> Somebody pick up the phone. They put on a white man voice. Hello. How you doing, mm. sir? This is Lennon Givens. I'm glad that you called. I don't do that, but, you know. <laughs> I used to see my sister do it. I used to cut my eyes at her. i be like, man, you don't talk like that. But keep going.
2: I mean, <laughs> oh, that's funny, dog. No, nah, it's funny because I had people that I know do the same exact thing, but carry on, bro.
1: <laughs> While he is serving his country, he must serve within a special group. While being a good American, he must, above all things, be a good Negro. And to perform this definite function, he must learn to stay in a Negro's place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, man. I remember being in grad school and, you know, <laughs> being that my name is Harvey Hinton Third, I remember wanting to write about black people and never say black people. In my mind, I wanted to make us so normal that the person reading it would just assume that it was, you know... Not assuming it was white, but just wouldn't be thinking about it being black. And I I wasn't allowed to do that. Why? I mean, I can say they wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't let you they want us to do what, Harvey. Normalize black people. You know. I didn't I didn't want to say black so people. So what did
0: you want to say? What did you want to put in because place? I
1: I just wanted to say people. I just wanted to tell the story. I just wanted to write okay. about the situation. Because being being a black kid in Durham, that's all yeah. I ever knew was black people. So I wanted to normalize us and I couldn't I couldn't, you couldn't normalize, normalize us. You couldn't normalize black people forget, in that space, you're saying? Okay. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Right. And I forget all the reasons why. But I just thought about that as he talks about a Negro's place. You know. But I, I, think, I think I think our place. Our place is a controversial space, and a lot of times no, we I, don't know I, where it yeah,
2: is. Yeah, I'll say the same exact thing, man. Controversial. In addition to that, outside space is a is a is a place that hell, we got to create our own space, man. We got to create our own space, our own our own windows, our own heights, our own attitudes, our own our own goals to be able to say, man. Because if you think about it, we'll capture people overall, man, and everything that we do. Everything we, everything I mean, that we do within society is going to be judged. So damn if you do,
1: damn if you don't. Exactly. Well, I mean, I'm, what is that like? Like you had, you had your experience at University right. of Toledo. Great, great experience. Great institution. Um, I don't know if you follow our stories, but you know, the HBCUs. You know, Ant just got announced. We're going to another conference, the Big South. We've already talked about this, Lenny and I. But just to the point. You know where is our space you know if if
2: I think our our space our place is where we make it, man, we gotta come in and make room. you know how like when you a kid and you see uh your two sisters or cousins sitting on a a, a two seated couch and you come sit your ass right between them and they they kind of move over what a little bit you come make space wherever you are, make your presence known it's easier, easier said than done but it has to be done in order for anything to get done you know you have you have to be disruptive in any space you you you're in man but you got to get into the get into the situation understand the game and the rules and go from that point
0: sometimes you got to um i I don't know do do we even have a, a space collectively or can we just create a small space for ourselves and just expand it to our family Uh, You think about uh, Carter G. Woodson, he created his own space and he carved out his own lane. He pioneered uh, how we, our our, our African history. Think about this. If Carter Woodson, I mean, I know what he did got watered down because now it's only uh, relegated to studying black history only one month out of the year. And we study like the, the same, like five, six people. You know, Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, uh, Frederick Douglass, Booger T. Washington, and you know,
1: we don't need to get him right. You know what I'm saying? Most of the stuff we study wasn't around when he right. was talking about it. And then what we do study, we just you but, know, but but my point is
0: my point is that he he saw a need and he worked tirelessly to do this. Hey, that was a story that he was really good friends with uh, Mary McLeod Bethune. And she was sitting down uh, downstairs because his office, he he lived upstairs and his office was downstairs. So she was sitting downstairs in his house, in his office, and she was poking fun at him. She was trying to get him to hook him up with some girls in D.C. And he said, nope, I'm going to be celibate because I don't want to mislead a woman and to giving and and making her think that it could be something else, because I can't stop my focus, and my focus is on this cause, mm-hmm. and he was dedicated to this cause, so he was making his own space, but at what price? It's
1: a major price,
2: you know. So and last I heard, yeah. it was a sacrifice. <laughs> and,
1: and that right there, I'm, now now let me just he. He was not a threat to the institution with that attitude. You're right. If he had been out here spraying like like little boots in them boys, well, that would shut him because down.
0: He, why? Because it would have been a whole bunch of him?
1: Right. I mean, clearly there's no legacy being spawned off of this work. I'm talking to nah, Reckless you, right now.
2: You mean as okay. like genetic, it's like no genetic gonna, le- legacy no or be- just...
0: Yeah, right. yeah, that's what he's okay. talking about. Uh, he he jumping into some eugenics right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you're you getting into your Margaret Sangers. I mean, you know,
1: it's all, it's
0: all part so, of hey, it. So,
2: Harvey, look, you hold on, Harvey. Hold, hold on, Harvey, look. look let's, let's, let's hone in on what you were just saying. You said that he was not a threat.
1: No, nah, I am trying to understand <laughs> trying to break down what
2: you were saying, though. You're saying that he was not a threat. He was not a threat to the right, establishment. Right, right, right. Because he didn't produce any offsprings.
1: Right. He doesn't produce any offspring, So there isn't no direct person that's, you know, Mm -hmm. what you would think is going to carry on a legacy. And then all he's doing is writing. He's doing something very important. I'm not negating what he's doing. But he's not necessarily deconstructing or calling for a change of power. You know, he's not attacking white people at all. You know, he's not making them the error. He's just talking about the era.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it, no, no, it's not. not, so not, so it's he's not yeah, he's not attacking white people, but he's in. He's empowering uh black people. Sometimes but you don't many, have to attack no, white but people but to think empower about, them think black, about black people.
2: The times he lived in, though, bro, how how many people can he empower at the time when there was so many people that could not read? So it was. That's this, what this, I'm why, saying. This information. This this information he's, was also like a blueprint really a for uh, the future. Just laying down the foundation of what black folks had to deal with and right. what black folks will have to deal with if this type of behavior carries on. Dog, this, this, dog, Harve, you talk, you, you right. just said a mouthful, dog. A mouthful, dog. <laughs> like, for real. Nah, man. <laughs> a lot. You just said a whole lot, man. I know you didn't want to say it in that kind of capacity, but you said a whole lot just now. He was not a threat. He was not a threat And a a lot of people May not agree with that But when you break down The the overall essence Of what he's saying He was not a threat He wasn't out Doing any marches He wasn't If you think about The economical standpoint White people He didn't move the mark One iota Not at all
0: No No I want I want to No Share with y'all At the conclave When he gave his speech He asked the brothers In the conclave To move away from your social actions and move more into to the development of the study of negro history because only when negroes learn their history that's how we will make better leaders to what you're saying walter and harvey he did he wanted us to move from the social actions the marching and everything and just focus on building us up intellectually and building our esteem up because if you're not going to fight for anything if you don't believe that you were anything
1: i think i think the other part of that he couldn't you know we talk about when you come in contact when you really get woke you know when brothers first get woke how they go on this thing or trying to tell everybody what they know and bashing the white man blah 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 i think that what he's referring to, he's still not saying it um, as matter of factly. Like, so knowing your history means what? Like, what does that mean to know your history? Like, how do you act differently because you know your history? I think what he was saying was it wasn't so much know your history. It's like at this time period, you're dealing with the lie right in front of your face. We've been put to sleep with the lie. The lie don't even matter to us no more. We don't even we don't even care about the lie. You know, I, I, the ones who come after us don't even tell them that there was a lie. Right. It don't you matter. you can
0: prove to them there's a lie. You like know? here's the
1: facts but, right here. These know, are
0: facts. Fact. Yeah, everything you believe is like what you think <laughs> happened, what you believe. No, it, you don't even have to go and say, man, I think this happened. We don't even have to go there. Yeah. These are the facts. This is what happened. And you know what? You're absolutely right. I've done it right. before, and I presented facts to people, and they just don't care because the lie sounds better and it feels good. It's like it's like a uh, it's like right. a narcotic. I don't want to deal with the reality, of harsh realities right. of life right now. Lie to me. I believe in unicorns. No, please lie to me.
1: You know, and he's living the lie. The lie is still no. walking around. And so much so that let me tell mean? you
0: how he did. It. <laughs> Yo, he used to hold teachers accountable and he used to be like, send me your curriculum. I want right. to check your curriculum. What, y- what, what what, are y'all really teaching these students? You know, and I'm starting uh, Black History Achievement Week and I just want you to uh, send me what y'all been teaching all year. And here's some here's some literature. I'm going to make sure I get this journal out. This um, what is the uh, the journal of the Negro out to you? And give you this information. This is what you need to be teaching. This information, and I'm gonna put this journal out every other week, so you can incorporate this in your American history. Check this out. So he he just didn't say, "I want y'all to learn let me, this." Let me he, drop some, let me, he made let me sure some, that he dictated what you learned, and he had his hand in this. He just didn't say, "Here, you go figure it out." You don't have to think.
2: That's what I thought. That's 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 check this you know, out that's the only problem i have i with just Carter G, i just man. read this piece again His his dictatorship like saying he was the be all end all of like the information you know
0: granted well he but, was like but look, before me y'all wasn't teaching this yeah
2: i understand <laughs> that but he, he still can't be the be all end all information because that that leads to everybody believing in one like a one thing you know like it, there's no room there's no room for there's no room for
1: I think, he, yeah, but he was trying nah, to— I was, said there, there was no, no, no room for, like, exploring like, I mean, it was thing. him
0: in a— No, nah, He it was him in a collection of other great thinkers back then. Remember, he had W.E.B. the boast. Like, it was giants. Check this
1: out. Check this out. Check, check this out what he says, man, in Chapter 2. In Chapter 2, How We Missed the Mark how we have arrived at the present state of affairs can be understood only by studying the forces effective in the development of the Negro education since it was systemically undertaken immediately after emancipation. Yeah. I was going to read the whole thing. Exactly. That sentence right so, there. He was actually, yeah, he was studying the after previous emancipation, bureau. emancipation, we were systemically, systemically dismantled. Yeah, it's kind of like we emancipation.
0: We're going to give you what you Something we're going to give you what you want, but we are really not going to give you what you want. It's the illusion of you getting what you want. So, he's talking about the Freedmen's Bureau when the teachers came from up north came down south to teach the students.
1: All the school, black people when they came out of slavery, they put the word African on everything. They were committed to returning to their selves. And there was no public. Education. And public came about to dismantle the effort to undo what they the were doing in educating themselves. And I think Right I think these are the things that Carter That's G is pointing us to. Like understand what you did after slavery. After slavery, you went to an effort to reclaim and reconstruct, and they came in to destruct. They they just told tore down what everything was we were trying to do and gave us a whole new program to be like them or to fall under they, their mercy. They literally went out
0: of their way. You were living up north and you came down out south out just way. to out do this. Just like he he wow. literally went out of his way <laughs> to go way over to the Philippines to try to to do what to do to them right. what was happening to him over here. Yep. Yeah. And he was Damn. able to see it. Right, man.
2: he caught it. He caught he on. Yeah, yeah, he caught it. Yeah, you're right. He caught it. You're right. That's a good point, Lynn. That's a good. Do you, point. What, what do you think the people were saying about him when he was in the
0: field? No. <laughs> Nigga, they were like, what "Hold on, you, doing? <laughs> you ain't one of them." We come on, man. Yeah, if you want us? You want us? They doing to? They doing to? Um, they got you doing to us what they've done to you. Wake up. Use your brain cells, son. Use your brain cells.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, man. He said the missionary teaches from the.
1: From functionaries of the United States government itself and from those who participate in the conquest of secessionists, early came the plan of teaching these freedmen the simple duties of life as worked out by the Freedmen's Bureau and philanthropic agencies. All these companies that we've learned to love because they look out for our communities. I don't even want to
0: name yeah, it I know it. They all love The missionary it. teachers from the north, in defense of the idea of a more liberal training, however, fearlessly attacked the new education policy. the educational policy. And the Negroes participating in the same dispute arrayed themselves respectively on one side or the other. So you had some people on their side. And then you had some people on the other side. He's <laughs> like, "Come on, man!"
2: But do y'all know of any books that we can read? I know this was well, on subject, but maybe later on down the line we could read about the the missionaries that came down south. Um, yeah, there's during a the school. Reconstruction period of time, I I definitely want to read that. It's called the
0: uh, "Schooling you know? the Free People: Teaching and Learning and the Struggle for Black Freedom from 1861." eight through 1875 by an author named Ronald Burchard And he talks about, he talks about it. With, it's a collection of letters that was written from between the teachers back up north uh, due to, uh, to the Freedmen's Bureau. And that when they went down, what they discovered, they discovered like, man, these black people have been teaching their kids for years now shit it's some schools that was established back in 1833 doing slavery so, <laughs> so we came down here just to help out you know we were able to help out but some of these teachers rejected us they told us thank you for your service but no thanks you've right. done enough for us we're going to teach our own Carter G.
1: Carter G got like two books on the subject he got two books on the subject um, education of the Negro prior to 1865 and all this yeah. stuff I forget the, the titles of them perfectly. Then there's this other brother, um, James Anderson, has a um, couple pieces on, yeah. on our early, early, early I, er, education.
0: The book Carter G I, wrote, um, it was the yeah. education of the Negro prior to 1861. It's a history of Negro education of the colored people of the United States from the beginning of slavery to the Civil War. And then he has uh he man, he wrote he
1: talks about both systems. Yeah, he talks about
0: in that in that the, same book quote
1: unquote apprentice system, uh, the apprentice system of slavery, as well as, you know, some of the efforts that black people were doing to preserve and teach their own identities, you know, and it's 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 always happened, you know, this idea that black people uh don't read and all this kind of stuff, man, that is a myth no. that we've that we've been missed we've really bought into the wrong side of what that man
0: I, this is I, this is what i want to uh, get people to think about first of all Carter G Woodson outside his home he used to teach the little kids he used to get the little kids outside ice cream and regale them with stories from africa and kemet and all over the world so the kids would love to see him coming
1: that is so not cool today. Yeah, you understand but the that?
0: kids would love to see him coming and they called him Bookman because every time they saw him, he had a whole bunch of books in his arms. Think about this. I want you to put things into perspective. This was in, the, uh, in a time before radios were a household appliance. So you had picking up a book and read. And you will read stories like on Frankenstein. You will read stories on Pinocchio. You will read stories on the Wizard of Oz, which has been changed drastically. You will read Mark Twain. So a lot of people will well read because that's all they did. So to say the Negro didn't read, that's not true. That's a that's a misnomer. Um, Check this out.
1: In chapter three, he says. From literature, the African was excluded altogether. He was not supposed to have expressed any thought worth knowing. The the philosophy of African proverbs and the rich folklore of that continent was ignored to give preference to that developed on the distant shores of the Mediterranean. Most missionary teachers of the freedmen, like most men of our time, had never read the instrument books of travel in Africa and had never heard of Tariq is Sudan <laughs> right,
0: and me neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, hey, he put some stank on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know yeah. What I'm
1: saying? yeah. you know, he put that stank on him, man. But he said, you know, our literature, our literature. So not just the fact that we read Mark Twain. Fuck that. Black literature. We always had literature. African literature now,
2: that, was that, excluded. That, no, that can that also make existed. a kid like uninterested in what's going on, like. Think about it, dog. Bruh.
0: So it's it's that's not that what we like, it read. That's, that's exactly right? what it does.
2: Like why, why, why do I why, why do I want to read about Pinocchio? Like you said, Mark Twain and all the other Tarzan, all the other characters, man.
1: But it's so bad now though, Walt, that you just you just try to go today and give a black kid something about no, Africa. Oh that, my gosh. I know. you think that's gonna work. That don't work. Yeah, but education
0: shit. So much damage has been done. It's just all it's all about the delivery and you gotta learn your audience and uh and like uh Carter G. Woodson says, have a common sense approach to the environment and your demographics.
1: Okay, okay, let me ask you a question. How many people you think read those books?
0: I don't know. They probably in that time oh, period. Oh, probably in that time period. Probably the um probably yeah, the intellects, the educators.
1: How many how many how many of those books you think are a part of a working Curriculum or a working teacher education program?
0: I'm not sure. Uh, none. I think it, I think okay. it's
1: just the um, the one that we're reviewing right now. I'm talking about a body of work that I does absolutely point. nothing. But check this out, though. Check this out. Check this out. This is the end of chapter three. This is crazy. The result then is that the Negroes, thus miseducated, are of no service to themselves and none to the white man. <laughs> The White man does not need the Negro's professional, commercial, or industrial assistance, and as a result of the multiplication of mechanical appliances, he no longer needs them in the drudgery or mineral service. The highly educated Negroes moreover, do not need the Negro professional or commercial classes because Negroes have been taught that whites can serve them more efficiently in these spheres reduced then to teaching and preaching the negro has no outlet but to go down a blind alley if this sort of education Damn, which we are bro. now receiving isn't to enable him to find a way out of bro, their present so, difficulties I said that's so profound what he said Dog,
2: it's like you, you, what you about it, to say goes, well that's what we, was, what we was saying earlier man about us ha- not having a space not having a space like if you're too highly educated you don't have a space in, in, in the world. If you're not educated enough, you don't have a space. But he's saying that he knows for a fact that this education, the system that we're, we're inhaling and being a uh, learner or whatnot, it, it's not the way. So I wonder, my question would be, like, for Carter G. Wilson, like, what is the overall way? What was his curriculum that he would say that we would take, you know, take path in to be able to get us out of this, uh, what was the solution, you know?
0: I think his solution is blatant. Never lose sight of who you are. Don't get so caught up in going down that well that you forget that you are a black man. Never forget who you are and never forget your purpose. You're here to serve your people because they're here to serve their people. Their agenda is clear. We need to make sure that we don't blur the lines and find ourselves on the wrong side of the fence. That's what he's saying. And it's saying he don't, it's not that he despises education. He's just saying that, hey, when you go get an education, just understand that this is a very dangerous thing and it shouldn't be uh, taken lightly because you can quickly find yourself denying yourself and wanting to be something that you would never be. Thank you for listening please remember to click the subscribe button. Leave a five-star rating followed by a glowing comment. Hope you enjoy